Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. An alarming number of Japanese citizens have taken a dark pilgrimage to the Aoki Gahara Forest, more commonly known as Japan's suicide forest, to end their lives, most commonly by hanging themselves. An untold number have wandered in and have never wandered out. Beginning in the 1960s, between approximately 10 and 30 people each year spent their last living moments in this forest at the base of Mount Fuji. And the number of annual suicides has greatly increased recently. In 2003, 105 bodies were discovered. Comprehensive data on lives lost in the forest doesn't seem to have been released since 2003, which is not a good sign. Why here? Why is a small patch of serene forest the second most popular suicide destination in the world thought to trail only the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco? More than 1,500 people have jumped off that bridge and died since construction was completed in 1937. So many that the U.S. government has decided to build the world's most expensive safety net. A stainless steel net located about 20 feet below the bridge's sidewalk will span 1.7 miles of roadway on each side of the bridge and extend 20 feet out over the water. It's going to take four years to construct and will cost just over $200 million. Should be finished by 2021. And while that net will certainly make it a hell of a lot harder for people to throw themselves off of that bridge, how do you stop people? from taking their lives in a 30-square-kilometer patch of forest. You can't put a net under every tree. We're going to break down Japan's suicide dilemma, both with the suicide forest within it and without it. It has one of the highest suicide rates of any country in the world. We're going to look at all sorts of explanations, including some terrifying Japanese paranormal legends, today on Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, time suckers, or Tuesday, Friday, uh, last Monday for uh, any time-traveling time suckers, or whenever you're, you know, uh, just happening to, to let the suck knowledge slap your hearing biscuits. I'm the man some call the suck master, the man my mom calls Daniel Boone, the man a lot of Starbucks baristas called Don. Uh, I get called Don a lot at Starbucks, so apparently I need to speak up and enunciate because I'm, uh, I'm Dan Cummins, and you are listening to Time Suck. 
Welcome to the Cult of the Curious. Hail Nimrod. In the Suck Dungeon again today. Uh, record this one a little early because the Reverend Dr. Josh Krell is on vacation. This coming Monday. He's going to be whooping it up in Disneyland. Going to be possibly crying and shaking on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride because, uh, you know, it can get kind of dark in there. You can hear a lot of spooky voices, and that's nothing to be ashamed of if you're four years old. Uh, if you're Josh and you do get scared, then it is something to be ashamed of, and we can talk about it when he gets back. Uh, another open house reminder, just to be clear, this is just a visiting hour situation. You know, nothing fancy. There's a chance for anyone who wants to come by, say hi, see how the whole shebang works, uh, to be able to do so. Uh, maybe if there's interest and enough people stop by, we can record part of an episode or something so you can see how it's done. May 29th, yeah, 3 to 7 p.m. in the Sandalwood Business Center, where we have a cool hidden suck dungeon, uh, inside an unassuming beige office complex where you where you might find like a like the kind of place where you, you'd expect to find an orthodontist, maybe a quilting catalog distributor, uh, maybe storage closets packed with unsold laser disc machines. Uh, we have a lot cooler stuff than that. We're going to have snacks, some catered stuff, some drinks. Uh, going to have the dogs, Penny and Ginger. Uh, for a price, I'm sure we could, uh, you know, let you snack on them. It's not going to be cheap. We love them. But if you're like, I got $500,000 cash, unmarked bills, if you let me eat one of them, we would at least have a discussion. So pop over, uh, put some sights to the sounds, meet some fellow time suckers and space lizards, 2215 East Sherman Ave, Suite 109, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, uh, address in the episode description. Now, Memorial Day sale has started. Uh, biggest sale we've had so far. Uh, started the second this episode was released, or if this episode was released a few minutes early, as sometimes happens, uh, then it starts in a few minutes at noon. And it lasts through Memorial Day at midnight. The sale is 25% off everything in the store using the discount code HEROES at checkout. H-E-R-O-E-S. Now, Space Lizards, listen to last Thursday's Secret Suck episode for your 30% off code, which cannot be combined with, you know, the 25% off everybody else or your existing discount. But you get 30% off. Uh, Doing a big blowout sale to make room for some new merch. It's going to be hitting the store in waves this summer. Uh, When the following items are sold out, they're going to be gone. We're not going to be restocking the first generation original logo shirt. Not going to be restocking the second generation, 100% imported unicorn scrotum black flat earth lizard Illuminati shirt. Or the third generation, 213% imported koala anus, Yamo Time Suck Bojangles, Michael Motherfucking McDonald, and James Ingram shirt. Not going to be restocking the fourth generation, 311% pure domestic bald eagle head feather, Time Suck logo shirt. Uh, or the red danger brain, Hail Nimrod shirt, shirt, or the hats. When the current hats are gone, they're gone. So a lot of stuff going to be moving out. Uh, we're going to be getting some new products and waves, again, throughout the summer, the rest of the year, to replace everything. Several different products in various stages of design and production, including a new hat. Lindsay working hard with Danger Brain to make sure the new products are top quality. Damn you, Lucifina, for making us all wait so long for what we want. Takes a minute to make some good shit. Uh, so if you're bummed we don't have the new stuff as soon as you would like, just know we're, we're working on it all the time. Again, 25% off using the discount code HEROES. At checkout, sale starts Monday, May 21st. That's today, noon Pacific time. Uh, it's now. Sale ends Memorial Day, Monday the 28th at midnight Pacific time. So hail Nimrod, you'll get it. Uh, special shout out to a little sucker. Special shout out to Time Sucker and Space Lizard, Cody Asuna and his son, Bohannon. Little Bohannon, little Space Newt, only one year old, who listens to this show, listens to The Secret Suck with his dad, got bit by a dog recently. Needed six stitches to his cheek, four stitches across his tongue. He's doing fine. He's doing fine. But, you know, it hurts. Uh, Recover hurts. And he he can't suck on a binky with those uh, tongue stitches, you know? No bink. 
no puff of those baby smokes. So, uh, you know, it's frustrating for Bohannon, for Dad Cody, and everybody, I'm sure. So Bojangles, he sends positive healing energy your way, young space newt. Now you're going to heal at 10 times normal speed, young Anunnaki. Heal well. Praise Bojangles. And Cody, email Lindsay. Email Lindsay your address, L-Y-N-Z-E at timesickpodcast.com. We'll get you a little care package for your, for your little guy, for your little, for your little newt, for little Bohannon. Okay, a couple uh, tour dates, and then we're off, I promise. May 31st through June 3rd, very excited. The Flat Earth Tour, hitting Phoenix, hitting the Tempe Improv. Special guest Gareth Reynolds from the Dollop Podcast on all those shows. Excited. June 8th, June 9th, bringing my Flat Earth Mockery to the Draft House in Washington, D.C. Uh, let's do it. Tickets on sale June 15th and 16th. Des Moines, the Des Moines Funny Bone. I'm bringing Mr. Pat House with me on that one. Tickets on sale, two nights only for me, July 15th, next live Time Suck podcast in Orlando at the Orlando Improv and several stand-up shows July 12th through 14th. Comedy Store in La Jolla by San Diego, July 20th through 22nd. Dayton, Ohio, July 27th through 28th. More tour dates, dancummins.tv. Tampa, Palm Beach, Chicago, Sunnyvale, Portland, Tacoma, Columbus, your shower, Grand Rapids, under your bed, more coming up in 2018. So now let's dig into into, uh, some darkness. Uh, Let's find out what the hell is going on. Why why are bad things happening in Japan's suicide forest? Quick note about today's episode. I'll be making jokes during an episode on suicide. I will not be uh, making fun of suicide. Suicide, not a fucking joke. Anyone listening to this, thinking of self-harm, please reconsider. Do not stay quiet if you're having thoughts darker than anything Lucifina could put in your head. Reach out to someone, genuinely seek help. Think about those you'd be leaving behind. Hit pause, reevaluate the potential of your life, how you could change it. You know, think you fucked up too bad, made too many mistakes? Well, volunteer at youth or homeless shelters. Teach others not to make the mistakes you've made. There's still so much good you can do. Talk to someone who can provide a different point of view. Just hold on a little longer. Reach out. Call the suicide, you know, hotline at suicide prevention uh, helpline at suicide prevention. Uh, God dang it. Suicidepreventionhotline.org. There we go. Three words, not two. Suicidepreventionhotline.org. 1-800-273-8255. This is not a sponsor. Just don't want to uh, don't want to lose a listener. Don't want to lose a listener to, to Nimrod's butthole. You remember that's where you end up, right? That's time suck mythology. No ball sack for you. Nope. You're not getting in Nimrod's heavenly scrote. Uh, if you end it all, you go straight to his butthole. But for real, if you know someone listening who is struggling with suicidal thoughts, who has attempted suicide, you know, uh, you know, if you if you're someone uh, you, you, who knows somebody ha- has died from self harm, you need to talk to somebody else about it. Lots of reasons to call that number. Lots of reasons to hit those digits. They're going to be in the episode description. Save yourself. Save a friend. Make yourself feel better. You know, unless, unless you know for sure that your friend is definitely a serial killer. Like if your friend has showed you, you know, several bodies in his freezer, for sure, not CGI, you know, not not some kind of prop, then that's the that's one of the few times you don't maybe try and talk them off the ledge. Overall, good of humanity, uh, better to let them, you know, fade out than kill more people, uh, right? Yeah, you got to be honest here on Time Suck. Uh, some people might even think like, dude, come on, you can't even say that. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. If someone's a fucking serial killer, then you do let that person kill themselves. Outside of that, and very few other exceptions, get help. Okay, so 
We know that a lot of people have taken their lives in the suicide forest. But what about Japan in general? You got to give the uh, got to give the forest some cultural context in this uh, land of the rising sun. As recently as 2017, Japan's suicide rate was the sixth highest in the world, second worst among the eight major industrialized nations. Uh, the number of suicides in Japan was 21,897 in 2016, which was actually the lowest total it had been in 22 years. Uh, but suicide still the leading cause of death among people in the 15 to 39 age group. Japan's suicide rate, the number of suicides per 100,000 people, stood at 19.5 as of 2014. Uh, Russia topped the list of eight major economies at 21.8. Japan's rate was higher than 15.1 in France, 13.4 in the U.S., 12.6 in Germany, 11.3 in Canada, 7.5 in Britain, and 7.2 in Italy. The year of most, re- and that's the, the the year of most recent available statistics uh, in each country. The highest rate was observed in Lithuania. This is uh, troubling. 30.8. Out of 100,000 people were recorded to have taken their own lives, followed by 28.5 in South Korea, 24.2 in uh, Suriname. The 11.7 suicide rate for Japanese women was the third highest, following South Korea's 17.3 and Suriname's 13.4. Uh, not not sure what the hell is going on in Lithuania. That stat sent me headed off into a side suck, trying to figure out why suicide is such an epidemic there. I couldn't find a good answer, other than theories on struggling to form an identity in the Lithuania's latest kind of post-communist national incarnation. Split from the Soviet Union in 1990, but, but so did a lot of other countries in Eastern Europe, and, and their suicide rate's not nearly as high. Uh, I guess that country does have poor national mental health resources, doesn't have a good mental health system, uh, support system, and also uh, did not know this. This might have some to has a super high percentage of demons. Uh, 2014, there were 3.2 demons uh, per, per capita. So that's per person, not per 100,000. Per one person, there's 3.2 demons, which is 350 times the worldwide average. Uh, it's 400 times what's, what's common in Europe. And there are also at least 10 open portals to hell in, Lithu- in Lithuania. And uh, oh, also, the citizens of at least uh, four different towns ha- have been uh, attacked constantly by real monsters for the last several years. So no formal study, but a lot of demons, a lot of hell portals. A lot of monsters. I don't know. That's just what I read uh, on a fucking website that exists only in my head. Because that is bananas. Uh, we're not talking about Lithuania. We're talking about Japan. Why are Japanese suicide rates so high? Well, for starters, suicide is viewed very differently in Japan than it is in the U.S. I always find this kind of stuff fascinating. Like, we all have our worldview. You know, we all have this lens we see reality through that's very, very, uh, uh, it's been shaped, you know, by the culture we came up in, the culture we live in. And sometimes just things you take for granted where he's like, oh, yeah, you don't, you don't kill, yourself, kill yourself. That's horrible. Well, just because we think that here doesn't mean another you know, culture believes the same thing. Uh, people can have a very different perspective on it. And Japan does historically have a very different perspective on it. Uh, Yoshinori, Yoshinori Cho, the director of psychiatry at uh, uh, Tikio University in uh, Kawasaka, uh, Kanagawa, explains how while in America, suicide is almost always culturally viewed as shameful, cowardly, a uh, selfish act. It can be seen actually as an honorable way out in Japan, an honorable solution to your problems, thanks to Japan's samurai tradition in part. So let's talk about uh, seppuku. Uh, seppuku called uh, ha- harakari, harakiri. There we go, harakiri. In the Western world, see some of these. I'm trying to do the proper pronunciation. That's always I've always heard as like Harry Carey. That's definitely wrong. 
That is definitely wrong if you're trying to pronounce it right. Uh, Harakiri. Uh, And I feel like it's so fucking easy for me to slide into, like, um, the stereotypical white guy trying to do an Asian voice that I feel, like, so fucking nervous when I do Japanese words, too. Like, ah, herikari. Like, I'm trying to do, like, this crazy, like, horrible, like, uh, borderline racist, you know, like, ah, seppuku, herikari. Like, so I'm trying not to do that. Trying to do it justice. Trying not to just do a fucking weird white English version of it. It's gonna be it's gonna be a balancing act. Gonna be tricky. Gonna be tricky. I'm walking a tightrope this episode. Um, so yeah, it, this uh, harakiri is the ancient samurai act of ceremonial suicide, and it was first recorded in 1180 CE. And why would samurai kill themselves? To answer that, we need a brief explanation of who the samurai even were. The samurai were a warrior class prominent in feudal Japan between the 12th century. All the way until April of last year. And then last April, 2 million samurai handed in their swords to the Japanese government in exchange for uh, new PlayStation 5s. Uh, which you're like, what's a PlayStation 5? Well, they have shit over there we don't even fucking know about. They're, they're several years ahead of us. Uh, no. no, it la- But it did last until pretty recent. It lasted until the 19th century. And, and the samurai valued honor above everything else. They lived by a very strict code that was based on that old hardcore fa- phrase, uh, phrase, excuse me, death before dishonor. They took that shit very seriously. The samurai culture developed in the 12th and 13th centuries, distinct from the culture of the rest of imperial Japan. Uh, they became kind of like these, these, these warrior monks, and they lived by the tenets of what, be, what became known as the uh, Bushida, uh, Bushido, uh, the warrior code which sounds like an awesome way to live until you realize that it includes some rules like killing yourself if your feudal lord uh, happens to get killed, which seems a little hardcore for my taste. And the Bushido, or Bushido uh, code stressed unquestioning loyalty and obedience uh, and, again, valued honor above even life. And I'm sure now we're going to do a samurai suck at some point. Uh, that would be super cool. This, it has really piqued my interest in this suck. Uh, Japan had a military government from 1192 to 1867 CE called a shogunate. Now, it was led by a shogun, and the title applied originally to the chief military commander, uh, and then it became a hereditary position. So kind of like a second emperor. Uh, technically, legally, the shogunate uh, was under the control of the emperor, and the shogun's authority was, in theory, uh, you know, limited to the control of the military forces uh, of the country, and then, you know, kind of like second in command to the emperor. But really, the, the position of emperor became just kind of a puppet position, symbolic, and the shogun actually ran the show. Uh, the feudal character of Japanese society created a situation in which control of the military became tantamount to control of the country. The emperor remained in his palace in Kyoto, uh, chiefly as a symbol of sovereignty behind the shogun. And the samurai were loyal to the uh, uh, daimyas, uh, who were feudal lords. And the daimya were loyal to the shogun. Uh, being a samurai was to be uh, the Confucian perfect gentleman. Samurai were taught that their essential function was to exemplify virtue to the lower classes. So they, you know, they, they carry themselves as uh, role models. They're supposed to show what class and honor and dignity looks like to the rest of society. Obedience to authority is stressed, but duty comes first, even if it means breaking the law. Uh, the extent to which duty superseded all else is perhaps best exemplified by the story of the 47 Ronin. From the early 18th century, Ronin being samurai who are no longer serving a feudal lord. Their lord has, uh, has, has died. The samurai had become masterless after their lord had been treacherously, uh, treacherously murdered. And then they avenged their lord's death. And afterward, all were ordered to commit uh, seppuku. Now, the precise content of the uh, bushida 
uh, code varied historically as the samurai class came under the influence of Zen, Buddhist, and Confucian thought, but its one unchanging ideal was martial spirit, including athletic and military skills, as well as fearlessness towards the enemy in battle. Frugal Frugal living, kindness, honesty, personal honor, also highly regarded, as was uh, uh, <laughs> piety, uh, piety, piety. That fucking these words. You know, you know what sucks about pronunciation when your brain doesn't like comprehend just basic, like you've spoken. I guess your own variation uh, unto yourself of English your whole life is. I can write all of the pronunciation guides I fucking want to, but memorizing exactly what all of them mean just doesn't is a whole other ball game. So piety, piety, what a fucking whatever. Uh, as was, you know, being humble. There we go. Fuck that word. However, the supreme obligation of the samurai was to his Lord, even if this might cause suffering to his parents and the, uh, samurai were bound by the code of Bushido, uh, Bushido to kill themselves rather than bring dishonor to themselves or their, uh, daimya or the shogun, their families, community, etc. If captured by the enemy was imminent, they would commit uh, seppuku rather than be taken. If their daimya uh, was killed, they would commit uh, seppuku. If they'd brought dishonor on themselves in a number of ways, done something unforgivable by their code, they would commit seppuku. In 1945, after their defeat in World War II, many Japanese military officials and civilians uh, committed voluntary seppuku out of a resolute sense of pride and honor that refused to bend to the enemy. I mean, that's pretty recent. They're still doing that. And, uh, and here's how that ritual would go down uh, in the ancient uh, way uh, of the samurai if time allowed and, and, and your enemy wasn't kicking in your door trying to, trying to capture you. Uh, prior to the event, you know, so for whatever reason, their, uh, their, their master essentially has died. They have no one to serve anymore. They've lost in battle. You know, they, they did something that broke their code. You know, it could have been simple as like, you know, you know, cheating on who they're supposed to be with or having, you know, you know, or having sex with some married, I mean, who knows? There's probably all these little, little, uh, ways you can dishonor yourself. And if, and if they feel like the best way to, you know, cleanse, cleanse their, Palette, I guess it's, I, I don't fully understand it. It'd take a whole nother suck to understand exactly what their code entails. Uh, you probably honestly, to be I mean, completely honest, have to be raised in that culture to really fully understand it. But um, whatever, they've done something that they felt was dishonorable and the way to make it right is to commit seppuku uh, uh, and, uh, and kill themselves. And, and, and also you could like do it to bring honor to your family. So it could even be something like you didn't even do it. But your family, somebody else in your family did something very dishonorable. And I guess you can like restore their honor by taking your own life in that situation too. Don't fully understand all the little rules. But here's what they would do to, to commit it. They would, uh, they would drink some sake to get ready for what they were about to do. Uh, you know, you, you'd think they'd be able to drink a lot of sake, but no. Uh, we'll find out exactly how much they were able to drink here in a second. Uh, a large white cushion would be placed and, and witnesses would arrange themselves discreetly to one side. Oh, you know, and I'm going to correct myself already. I'm going to update myself. I thought you got to drink the sake. I left that note in there, and that's, uh, I think, an incorrect note. You, you don't drink the sake first. It's all, like, very sequential. Um, yeah, it took a second to get my head around this. You, you get a large white cushion. That's, that's placed, you know, that you get to, like, kind of kneel on. There's witnesses. They arrange themselves kind of behind you in a little line. Uh, you wear a white kimono. You kneel on the pillow, you know, very formal style. You know, posture is important. I mean, everything is like to, to every little detail is, is accounted for. Uh, behind and to the left of the samurai knelt their assistant. Uh, a, a servant would place a wooden table before the samurai, which would contain uh, a sake cup. 
a sheaf of washi, uh, paper handmade from mulberry bark, writing utensils, as well as the uh, kozuka, a disemboweling blade. Although the samurai would be allowed to use their own sword if they preferred, the sake cup was then filled from the left by an attendant. I love, like, I mean, every little detail uh, should be followed. The samurai then empties the cup in two drinks of exactly two sips each, as one sip would show greed and three or more sips would show hesitation. So they would make a total of four sips. Uh, that also being symbolic, the character she, which means four, also means death. I mean, this shit is hardcore. Uh, if I was about to disembowel myself, it'd be very hard to stop at four sips of rice wine. It's like, um, could I have one sip of rice wine and then an entire bottle of Everclear? Can I be given four fat lines of Coke? You know what? Actually, can I have four syringes full of pure heroin? Uh, why the writing utensils? Well, before committing a seppuku, a samurai would write a uh, jisi. Probably not pronouncing that one right. A death poem. They would write a death poem, which was considered important as a person facing imminent death was believed to have special insight into the nature of death, the, the nature and value of life. Uh, the poem should be graceful and natural, usually in the theme of transient emotions. I mean, so many fucking rules and rituals. Even mentioning the samurai's impending death in the poem, that's considered poor form. That's uncouth. It's bad taste. Uh, this was also important for the samurai as the poem would serve as a written glimpse into his nobility of character and how he wished to be remembered after death. So, you know, uh, you know the way he'd be revered afterwards, the way his family would be honored in his honor uh, could be affected by this poem. Asanu uh, Naganori, for example, who seppuku uh, precipitated the famous incident of the 47 Ronin, is said to have written a particularly poor death poem. Uh, I guess he implied the impending end to his life, thereby, uh, you know, he showed a little immaturity, a little lack of character. What a fucking baby. Come on, dude. Man up and write a nice poem before slicing open your own fucking stomach. And then having your assistant, you know, cut your head off. Uh, I hope that if I were writing a death poem, that the Reverend Dr. Josh Crow would remind me to write it in the correct, respectful way before quickly cutting off my head. And if it was uh, grammatically incorrect, Time Suck editor Jesse Dobner would also have to commit seppuku. Josh would have to cut off his head as well. So many heads are going to get cut off. Um, but they didn't have to cut their heads off. That's part of the ritual. So according to tradition, this is so hardcore. When the samurai felt ready, he would loosen the folds of his kimono, exposing his stomach. He would then lift this big knife, you know, or his sword, you know, his choice with one hand, unsheath it with the other, set the sheath carefully to one side, he would mentally prepare himself for a few moments, then quickly drive the knife into the left side of his stomach and then draw it across to the right. See what I'm saying? You're just like, Ugh! you just like, stab yourself and then like pull it across your stomach, ripping it, everything inside of you to the right. And then he would turn the blade in his wound and bring it upward. I guess upward a little bit. And then, and then you're done. Then you're completely disemboweled. Now, most samurai did not have to endure this last agony as their assistant would cut their head off at the first sign of pain. Uh, I would be super pissed if Josh, if I'm like, my fucking guts are hanging out. And he's, you know, he's, he's texting or something or, you know, he's, he's finding out he's got his headphones on. He's listening to me. They're like, dude, cut my fucking head off. You're supposed to do it 30 seconds ago. God, come on. I'm so mad you're not cutting my head off right now. Um, Jesus. So. Uh, but, yeah, usually the, the, and, the, and then the cut the, 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 to, like, to finish them off um, was known as a jumonji, like a, like a crosswhite cut. Uh, to, to perform it in its entire... Oh, yeah, so that stomach cut had, like, a term for it. Uh, Jumonji, a cross... I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, too. A crosswise cut 
And if you performed it in its entirety, I guess that was like, you know, you're super honored. You're super revered then because that was particularly impressive. Yeah, I bet. And why the stomach? Because I, I was I wondering, like, why, why would that seem like a terrible place to kill yourself? It seems like one of the worst ways to do it. Well, it's because they believed the human spirit resided in the stomach and that slitting the stomach open was considered to be the most straightforward and bravest way to die. Uh, therefore, this act is a, is a privilege reserved for the samurai. Commoners not allowed to even do that to themselves, which I don't know how you regulate that. You know, if someone's going to kill themselves, it's kind of hard to be like, you know, what are you, you going to uh, revive them and then kill them again as punishment? I don't know what you would do. to, But um, they're not supposed to do it. Commoners were supposed to, if they wanted to kill themselves, supposed to hang themselves or drown themselves. Uh, samurai women called uh, unabu geisha, unabu geisha uh, could slit their own throats, but uh, only a samurai was allowed to commit seppuku. And, and yes, there were those samurai women, badass warriors who fought alongside the men. Definitely doing samurai suck at some point. Talk about all of it. Uh, th- think about the phrasing, though, of only the samurai were culturally allowed to kill themselves in this way, but commoners could hang or drown themselves. That says so much about Japanese culture. So, so rigid in some, in so many ways. And, you know, and, uh, so focused on honor and class distinction and all that, you know, it's crazy. Like suicide's okay. You can kill yourself, but don't do, do not cut your stomach open or your family will suffer dishonor. Uh, man. And bonus points for cutting open your whole stomach without showing pain. Fuck that. No way I would be a, uh, that samurai. No, no, I, uh, I, I feel like if I, if I was the one who was supposed to commit seppuku, uh, the other samurai in the little line behind me to witness it, they'd be waiting a long time. They'd be waiting a long time. There'd be a lot of them uh, saying stuff like, come on, come on, aren't you ready yet? I got to go to the bathroom. Or, you know, like, come on, come on, dude, my legs are asleep. Enough already. Come on, man, you're supposed to write a quick poem, not a book. What, you got 250 pages there? For fuck's sake, push the sword in already. Three of the other witnesses have killed themselves while waiting for you to kill yourself. This shit is ridiculous. There'd be a lot of me saying stuff like, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Why don't you guys scratch my back? Just scratch my back. I Look, I just, no, I'll do it. I just don't want to die with the niche. Hey, hey, oh, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Is this, does this sword seem sharp to you? I don't want to, I don't want to stab myself with a dull sword. I just, if you, maybe you can sharpen a little bit. Hey, uh, hey guys, I want to do this, but maybe not today. I'm just, look, I'm nervous. No, this is for you. I'm nervous to cut my stomach open because I, I think I had a bad egg this morning. Feels like I might have some food poisoning. You know, I got some stuff going on. I got some, you, you can hear her. You know, I think let's, let's reconvene next week. Let's reassess. I just, uh, I'm worried about the smell. You know, I don't want that. You don't want that. Uh, anyway, uh, the real samurai tried to keep their composure, even on the brink of death, showed their strength, full control over their mind and body in their last moments. You know, any previous reputation of a samurai might be meaningless if they died in an unseemly manner. That would suck. I guess, you know, if your family's all worried about your honor, like what if you were some badass samurai? You know, you killed like 40 enemies in battle. You got like scars all over your face where you've been cut up with swords. You just fucking handle your shit. But then right at the end, you're like, oh, 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 no. And then they're like, oh, no. It's all for nothing. That would suck. Uh, oh, and, and there were also, of course, circumstances where you could not commit seppuku. Uh, you know, you didn't have time for that whole ritual. And there were other acceptable ways of honorably killing yourself, like, like, uh, cutting your throat. If, if you had to do it quick, maybe some enemies coming to, to get you. Uh, you could also throw yourself from a running horse with a sword in your mouth. That's uh, that was written in the thing I read about it. That's, that's very specific. Uh, man, 
It takes a lot of uh, athletic training to be able to do that. Uh, and you can and you can throw yourself off a cliff. That was also allowed. Jeez, man. And check out this element of uh, talking about exactly how they wanted things done just so. Check out there's an element of the assistant chopping off their their uh, the samurai's head, which sounds to me like the relationship between that assistant and the samurai is like knight and squire. But I, ideally, if this ritual went perfectly, the assistant would lop off the samurai's head almost but not quite totally off. Like not not totally off. And you, and you do that in one stroke. You get like 90% in one stroke. And then you give a second little tap stroke so that the head drops forward uh, instead of goes flying off or rolling around the room. Because that, if it's too sloppy, that's also not as, as honorable as they would like it to be. So ideally, and I'm not making this up, uh, one big chop, head falls forward, little chop, head drops into your hands. Perfect situation, perfect, most honorable way. Uh, you catch your own fucking head. Not kidding. Wow. Uh, unbelievable. So there's that. And before we discuss other aspects of Japanese culture that explain a different attitude towards suicide, clearly, than we have here in the United States, let's talk about the right way to go to sleep. You're not supposed to make sure to go to sleep. Uh, not supposed to make yourself go to sleep forever. All right? Don't do that. Call that number we talked about earlier. You are supposed to treat yourself to a good night's sleep such as laying on the best mattress in the mattress game, which brings us to our first sponsor. Time Suck, brought to you today by Lisa. Driven by the mission to provide a better place to sleep for everybody, Lisa, an innovative, direct-to-consumer, online mattress brand, also socially conscious. Donating mattresses to shelters, planting trees, all sorts of good shit. And they have a patented universal adaptive feel featuring three premium foam layers, including a two-inch Avena foam top layer for cooling and breathability, uh, two-inch memory foam middle layer for body contouring, pressure relief. Six-inch dense core, uh, core support foam for durability and structure. And, and Lisa has more than just awesome mattresses like the one Lindsay and I uh, sleep on. They also have a Lisa pillow, blanket, foundation, and frame. They're not fucking around. They're one of Forbes' top 20 startups to watch. So treat yourself. All right, treat yourself, time sucker. Try a Lisa mattress in your own home for 100 nights risk-free. Available in the U.S., U.K., Canada, Germany online with free shipping. This 100% American-made mattress ships compressed in a box to your door. You can try one out at the Lisa Dream Gallery in Soho, New York City, or Virginia Beach, or at 80, uh, over 80 West Elm stores nationwide. And for Memorial Day, another sale. I like it. Get $160 off. $160 now when you go to L-E-E-S-A. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash timesuck. Now. Let's talk about another uh, cultural thing going on in Japan. Let's talk about kamikazes, right? Because uh, I think, you know, uh, a lot of uh, people not from Japan really looked at that as like, what the fuck is going on there? But I think we're going to get a, we're going to have a much better understanding of why, why that was done by the end of this suck. The kamikaze were a group of young Japanese pilots who flew suicide missions aimed at taking out as many of the enemy as possible. They'd crash their planes, never ejecting themselves in an attempt at survival into allied ships, you know, like they did during the uh, attack on Pearl Harbor, Harbor in World War II. About 3,800 kamikaze pilots, pilots died during World War II. More than 7,000 naval personnel were killed by kamikaze attacks. While many other countries labeled kamikaze pilots insane fanatics, Japanese viewed them more as determined heroes who sacrificed everything for the security of their family and fellow citizens. Right? They were voluntarily ending their lives with honor. And that wasn't that long ago. You know, this is the 1940s. It's again, it reveals a very different perception regarding suicide that we typically typically have here in the States. Uh, the Japanese word kamikaze is usually translated as divine wind. 
And how dedicated were those kamikaze pilots? I mean, they trained. You know, they trained for months to kill themselves in battle. And they didn't even think they were going to be sent to some kind of weird harem of virgins, like some Islamic fundamentalist suicide attackers believe. You know, and I wondered, like, like what did they believe awaited them on the other side of death? Uh, well, the predominant religion historically in Japan is Shintoism. It's the world's fifth largest religion, and it's a religion of ritual and tradition. Uh, man, a lot of rituals, man. A lot of, a lot, a lot of stuff uh, in Japanese culture. One of the core beliefs is, of the Shinto religion is the idea that everything possesses a spiritual essence or energy called kami. Uh, mountains, rivers, places, animals, and people are said to have kami inside. Uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing that word right. Shinto beliefs about death and the afterlife are considered dark uh, and negative, I guess. Uh, the old traditions describe death as a dark underground realm with the river separating the living from the dead. Uh, the images can be very similar to Greek mythology. The concept of Hades can be similar to Norse mythology and the concept of hell. Can't forget, can't leave out the Norse. Can't forget about the Norse gods and Odin's spider horse. Uh, Shinto traditions lean heavily on the concepts of the presence of Kami and not reincarnation. The spiritual energy in everyone is released and recycled at the time of death. The spirits live in another world, the most sacred of which is called the other world of heaven. So that, that really doesn't sound bad. Uh, these other worlds are not seen as a, as a paradise or a punishment. Instead, the worlds are simply where the spirits reside. Uh, they can connect and visit our world uh, when people correctly perform rituals and festivals. Shintoists believe that ancestral spirits can protect their descendants. Uh, prayers and rituals performed by the living honor the dead, memorialize them, and return the spirits of the dead, offer protection and encouragement for the living. Shintoism also views that some individuals live such an exemplary life that they become deified in a process called uh, apotheosis. Many in the imperial family have experienced this honor as have successful warriors. So basically, you know, you die a noble warrior's death and you make it to the VIP section of the afterlife. And, uh, and they do have a very, yeah, yeah, interesting and different kind of perception of the afterlife. It sounds like, like, like ghosts. Uh, it makes sense why there's so many horror movies coming out of Japan. You know, it's like heaven isn't some, uh, and the afterlife isn't some place like way far away. It's like, it's like a different uh, kind of uh, parallel dimension almost to our world. Where, you know, the spirits are just kind of like right there, always being, you know, they're always around us, always, always around them. People's ancestors still around them, you know, living in some different plane of existence, but not living, you know, somewhere else necessarily. Uh, Shintoism being Japan's major religion, it does really play into cultural attitudes towards suicide because in Shintoism, suicide just not taboo like it is, you know, in Christianity. In an article in Psychology Today titled Asian Honor and Suicide, the Difference Between East and West from 2014 – uh, they talk about like, you know, in the West, given Christianity's view, how suicide has become, you know, been or long been shrouded in shame and actually viewed as one of the most grievances you can commit because you can't ask for forgiveness after you've committed suicide, you know, and, uh, you know, you can't, you can't call out that kind of final Hail Mary. And so your soul ends up being condemned to hell, which makes it kind of like, like a, a super, super taboo sin. But in Eastern cultures, it has been seen as a way of atonement. Uh, restoring honor, you know, like with the samurai, a way of protecting a family's legacy from being tarnished. Uh, even as recently as 2007, after a high-profile cabinet minister in Japan killed themselves while under investigation for financial impropriety, the governor of Tokyo called him a true samurai for preserving his honor. That's just, that's 2007. You know, just not looked at in the same way at all. Uh, one of the ultimate sins and shameful deeds in the U.S., uh, in traditional Japanese faith, it erases the misdeeds and wrongs of life. Uh, you know, it leads to an enlightened soul. But Japan is trying to change this cultural attitude recently. In the early months of this year, 2018, Japan announced that it was uh, rolling out a five-year plan aimed at increasing suicide prevention. Their goal is to cut suicide rates by 30%, uh, you know, 
over the next five years. So now that you know a little bit about Japan's historical attitude towards suicide, uh, let's, let's peek into the specifics of the suicide forest itself. All right, let's talk about uh, uh, Aokigahara. Uh, it lies at the base of Mount Fuji. Locally, it's known under the much less ominous name of Jukai, Sea of Trees, because it has a very high density of trees that are that are green year-round. looks almost like an ocean when you kind of like, you know, look at it from the mountain. Uh, Mount Fuji, Japan's holy mountain and national icon, is the tallest peak in the country, and its pristine, snow-capped, familiar shape is painted and imprinted on virtually everything you can imagine. Uh, flags, cups, shirts, hats, posters, ancient and contemporary art. Its majestic image conjures a sense of awe that transcends time and culture. It's only 60 miles from the congested streets of Tokyo, but it feels like a completely different world. And Mount Fuji rises 12,389 feet above sea level in, uh, in an otherwise, for the most part, gentle landscape where the mountain has long been heralded as being spiritually significant. The, uh, the Anu, an ancient indigenous group, uh, believed it to be a sacred place, named it after the words meaning fire and, and hearth. Buddhists have also held that it's a powerful and spiritual place. Uh, and then the Shinto are the ones who hold it in the highest regard. They've, uh, they've constructed eight major shrines at the base of Mount Fuji, hundreds of smaller shrines throughout the area. You know, people can pay uh, tribute to their ancestors. Uh, the earliest of, of, of the dates of shrine creation goes all the way back to 806 CE. Uh, climbing the mountain itself has been considered an important pilgrimage for centuries and uh, has required the guidance of a holy monk or a priest for many generations. And actually, uh, women were not allowed on Mount Fuji at all until 1945 because they were believed by the Shinto to be unclean due to menstruation and childbirth. Uh, not making that up. Didn't, didn't catch that part of Shintoism earlier. Shinto uh, has a very complicated attitude towards women. They're seen as conduits between spirits and men, described as Miko or children of God, and yet they had those uh, those dirty, bloody baby dispensaries. They, they fuck up all the shrines with their, with their blood vaginas. Uh, to this day, there are still shrines that have <laughs> signs. I looked at some pictures of them asking women to uh, at least wait until 72 days after childbirth. If you're going to bring your naughty filth hole around our pl- clean shrine, well, at least fucking wait, a, you know, a couple months. Uh, you better be careful. Lucifina might just wreak havoc on those shrines. She might make uh, Mount Fuji erupt in anger if they don't uh, tone down their misogyny. Don't want to piss off Lucifina. Hell, Lucifina. Uh, today, thousands of people climb Mount Fuji slopes for several hours in late summer, usually at night, to see the sunrise from the astounding view at the peak. It's considered, it's again, a sacred, powerful sight that women are begrudgingly allowed to enjoy now. And it's said that if you have a, a dream about Mount Fuji, you're going to have good fortune. And then the uh, Okigahara, the, the, the suicide forest, lies beneath Mount Fuji's northwestern side. It takes about four hours to get to this isolated forest by train from, uh, uh, from uh, Tokyo. It consists of about 12 uh, square miles of dense, beautiful forest that grew atop the hardened lava of Mount Fuji's last major eruption in 864 CE. And you know what? I, I looked at so many articles. I'm going to scrap that. Maybe it does. I'm going to scrap that. Don't don't hold me to that four hours thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna update that as we go in real time as well because I looked at that so many different times. I'm like, wait a minute, 60, 60 miles from Tokyo, but it takes four hours. But the forest is right behind it. Who the fuck? It takes it's, it's outside of Tokyo. It's outside of Mount Fuji. That's all we need to know. I'm getting too uh, bogged down in exactly how many miles from Tokyo it is. The porous lava rock that makes up the ground. Uh, Underneath the forest, absorbs sound well. It creates a hushed environment that is eerily quiet. So that's part of uh, maybe what uh, just just kind of makes it a little, you know, outside of the suicides. It, it is just kind of, uh, I guess, kind of a place that creeps people out a little bit. And uh, like if you were to yell for help, it's unlikely people would hear you. It just has a lot of sound absorption, just the natural acoustics of the, of the ground in the forest. Uh, that would be weird if you didn't know that 
that the that is built on a type of rock that does that and you know and it just is extra quiet at night that would be very unnerving uh outside of park workers themselves and people wanting to commit suicide not many locals go there local children are told it's haunted it's a place full of dark forces uh the area first started being called the suicide forest in 19 um uh 1950s or or 1960s uh, i saw some articles that said 1950s maybe uh question mark on 1950s I'm going to say definitely on early 1960s, and we'll understand why when I bring up a book that relates to the suicide forest a little bit later on. Um, but people started finding rotting corpses while on their hunt for the gorgeous views of Mount Fuji. Within a couple of quick decades, volunteers, police, park rangers, journalists, they're regularly surveying the grounds in search of uh, those contemplating suicide to try and talk them out of it. Uh, if you do decide to visit for any reason, when you get there, you'll find the forest has a small paved parking lot. That too often, uh, this is pretty sad, has uh, one or several abandoned cars. Hundreds of cars have pulled into that lot with their owners only to eventually uh, leave, um, you know, without their owners. Somebody has to tow it away and uh, because their owner is no longer in need of a car. Uh, trail leads from the, from the lot into the forest. There's a sign along the trail, the likes of which you probably will never find in another park. Uh, it says, your life is a precious gift from your parents. Please think about your parents, siblings, and children. Talk about your troubles. And then it advises you to contact the Suicide Prevention Association of Japan. Uh, if you decide to press on and journey into the breathtaking greeny, greenery of the cypress, hemlock, and pine trees, you will find, uh, you know, some, some possibly some natural uh, inhabitants on the way. Uh, a bit unlikely, but there is uh, Asian black bear, bats, mice, deer, boar, fox, rabbits, squirrels, birds. Um, they're definitely uh, in, in that park as well. I had no idea there were, there were bears in Japan, like wild bears. Uh, I looked them up, uh, like Japanese, like Asian black bears. Uh, pretty damn cute. Uh, bigger than I thought. They maxed out at about 270 pounds. So, they're, you know, they're legit bears. Also very endangered. And unless poaching goes down, I guess they're uh, thinking they'll be extinct within 100 years. So I guess there's only about 10,000 left in the whole country. When the sun is up in the forest, you'll hear the quiet chatter of birds. Uh, but it's deathly silent at night in the dark. Occasional flowers and mushrooms can be found amongst the ferns and moss covering rocks on the forest floor. Tree roots and fallen limbs snake through the undergrowth over around the rocks and small caverns, creating a creeping sense of entanglement. It's, it's also just really pretty. I mean, I have watched several videos on it. It is like a very pretty forest. Uh, the first kilometer or so of hiking after that parking lot takes you uh, closer to the mountain itself, and it's littered with the remnants of other hikers, uh, despite the constant upkeep of the officials working there. The trail itself mostly clean, but there's ribbons and ropes you know, left tied to trees from previous visitors who wanted to mark their way back to the trail to make sure they didn't get lost in the dense forest. Little pieces of garbage, cut credit cards, empty blister packs from pills, which that's uh, scary. Occasional broken phone. These are all easy to spot along the periphery. Trail markers point out several natural attractions. There's the uh, Narasawa and uh, Fugaku ice caves, uh, the Lake Sai Bat Cave, the Fuji Five Lakes. The ice caves would be pretty creepy if the government hadn't sanitized them steps and hand railings and signs and you know lots of concrete lights and paths and screens and stuff uh it's, it's this cave where like these water droplets fall to the cave floor and freeze and create these ice stalactite and stalagmites these you know looking formations i guess still i mean, guess they're not technically stalactites and stalagmites but they look like those made out of ice uh super cool actually looking and also a great setting for a horror movie uh the farther you venture in out past the caves, the more pristine the forest becomes, the more foreboding it feels. If you choose to ignore all suggestions, venture off the path, you can easily get lost. It all starts to kind of look the same. So, you know, which way exactly did you come from? 
Um, given that roughly 100 bodies have been found each year, although officials have quit posting officially that number in hopes of quelling the phenomena, um, the longer you wander, lost to the forest, the greater your odds of encountering a dead body are going to become. Most of the suicides, as I said earlier, have, have hanged themselves, which is nearly always fatal. Uh, the majority of the rest choose death by overdose, which isn't nearly as fatal, but there's a, there's a good chance that some of those who didn't die right away from the overdose maybe changed their mind, ended up still dying because in their drugged and disorientated state, they wouldn't be able to figure out how to get back out of the park, you know, and, and uh, back to civilization to get help. Uh, while the Japanese government is well aware of the high number of suicides in the forest, you know, short of just like not letting one in the forest, which is going to be tricky to fence that entire forest, there isn't much that can be done to stop it. Even if you did that, people could cut through the fence. I mean, what are you going to patrol an entire forest to try to make people not get in it? You know, again, it's not like the Golden Gate Bridge where you can build a net so people can just, you know, not be able to jump into the bay below. Uh, if you want to see any of this for yourself, there's, there's quite a few documentaries online about the suicide forest. I watched a short 20-minute Vice documentary on YouTube about suicide forest where a cameraman follows nature guard uh, Azusa Hayona on a walk through the grounds. Now, Hayona is a geologist who works in the forest as an environmental protector and he's also just a good dude. You can tell he's just a good dude. He just doesn't want people to kill themselves, and he's trying to find people and talk them out of it before it's too late. And so he, he regularly goes on these suicide patrols in search of bodies and people to talk, you know, kind of, you know, off the ledge, so to speak. He's lived in the area for over 30 years. He's personally, oh, man, I found this so uh, horrific, uh, found over 100 corpses in the last uh, 20 years. Well, the 20 years prior to the vice piece. Holy shit, man. Can, can you imagine discovering uh, over 100 dead bodies? And not all at once. I mean, that would be terrible, but, but, uh, but I would prefer that to having it strung out over two decades where you like, you know, you just, you know, it's been six months and you haven't seen anybody and you just kind of maybe relax and then you see another person. I mean, I guess you get jaded towards it, but God, I just, I just feel like you just can't get those, wouldn't be able to get those images out of your mind. Uh, Hayona claims, uh, as many of the local rangers do that he can, he can likely guess who is coming for a nature hike, who's coming with indecision and doubt and, and who is coming to never leave. Uh, those who enter the forest and are contemplating suicide but haven't yet made up their mind, I guess they often bring a tent. And they're the ones that use rope or ribbon to kind of mark their way back to the trail as they venture out to some secluded part of the woods to, to really contemplate their fate. And again, those informal markers are everywhere. There's uh, little ribbons and stuff. We saw them in the, saw them in the video just all, all throughout. Occasionally, there's a cut noose on the ground. I mean, those the empty pill cases. Yeah, really, really rough. As uh, Hayona leads viewers on a walk to the forest off and off trail, he encounters an abandoned tent. Uh, appears to have been there for a few days. He hopes they're just off walking and still deciding that they still have hope, pointing out that if a body had been found, the tent site would have been cleaned up. Uh, nearby, he finds a creepy stuffed doll nailed upside down to a tree. Seriously, uh, the kind of shit that would send uh, most of us into a sheer panic if you ran into it alone at night. This creepy doll wears a striped suit, its face is all ripped up, nails are driven to its feet and hands. It's been crucified in an inverted position. Hayona says uh, putting a doll like that is just a sign of contempt for society. Somebody was just angry, felt that the uh, society had not been kind to them, and they wanted to place a curse upon it. Uh, and they put that little doll up like that. Short walk from the doll leads him to a wooden sign nailed to another tree, presumably by the same person that reads suicide notes. Uh, I came here because nothing good ever happened in my life. Don't look for me. Their name is also listed. Then he came across a second note that speaks to the volume of tragedy that occurred in the forest. It says, need help writing your suicide note, call plus four, 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 five, eight, eight, seven, nine, nine, zero, nine affordable rates. Uh, we're not trying to take your last dollar, uh, call now and we will give you a free, uh, doll crucifixion kit. And then there's like a little asterisk and it says, we actually are trying to take your, um, last dollar. That's fucked up. And that's, uh, it's not true. The first note is true. 
So is a doll. I just needed to say something that had some kind of levity because this shit is depressing. Uh, there's, can you imagine if there was a suicide note business? Just like how just pure dark that would be. Like what a soulless fuck of a human being you'd have to be to create that business where the only way you make money is, is if more of your clients kill themselves. Almost zero repeat business, you know? Uh, yeah, the only, the only repeat business you get are people who try to kill themselves failed and are trying again. I guess your ideal customer would be somebody who's extremely suicidal, but really bad at uh, killing themselves. What a, what a sad person that would be. Self-esteem is already terrible, you know? Possibly because they don't believe they're good at anything, and then they feel worse about themselves because they're not good at suicide. Okay, okay, pretty dark, pretty dark. Uh, yeah, so this guy, he keeps going through the woods. Further on his patrol, oh man, he, uh, he finds another tent in the middle of the trail, and this one has somebody inside it. He peeks in, and I couldn't believe it. Uh, it was Chikatilo. He was, in the, he was in the tent. He's in the suicide fort. What is the big deal? I bother no one. I stalk South Shamecock and Woods. It's make people laugh, if anything. Uh, no one watched but the nosy park ranger. Maybe I'll wrestle some people, but the only people wanting to be wrestled. It's mercy. Chikatilo helping. I kind of good guy in this episode. No, of course, Ukrainian serial killer. Andre Chikatilo, not the tent. Again, uh, this is just... Uh, it's just such a fucking sad narrative here. Uh, park geologist Hayona approaches, asks the man inside if everything is okay. And you can watch, and again, this is all from the video, the documentary. Uh, he lets the guy know that he is not allowed to camp there, you know, and he's he's a nature guard. He's on suicide patrol. The man apologized, never leaves his tent though. Hayona asks him to take time to think, be positive, tells a stranger that it was nice to meet him, shows him how to leave the park. And then he's and then he's worried because the guy doesn't look like a hiker and he's not dressed apart and the guy doesn't leave. The guy doesn't leave the tent. Uh, and then shortly after this, he finds a perfectly intact skeleton on the ground and, uh, you know, clearly bummed out. Uh, the bones are resting inside the clothes last worn by the person who ended their life. Their feet still neatly tucked into their lace boots. Pretty eerie. Pretty eerie uh, looking at it because the shoes look new. Uh, they're clean burgundy and black rubber-soled hiking boots. Some guy's leg bones run right into him, popping out of his faded dark blue pants. There's an empty water bottle near the guy's left hand. I mean, it just looked like some guy laid on his back, took some sleeping pills, Drank him down with a with a bottle of water, fell asleep, and then just never woke up. And then his body wasn't found until two years later. Nothing but a skeleton and some clothes. It's, it's just so strange. No flesh at all. Just bones. Clean looking, new looking shoes. Body's completely rotted. You know, it's been eaten by scavengers and bacteria down to down to the skeleton. But the shoes are fine. And I I don't know. Just unnerving to for me to look at that image because it, maybe just like a blatant reminder of how fragile we are, how temporary we all are. Where the shoes are, you know. The, the rubber soles, they don't even look damaged in the slightest, but the person is just, just all gone. Uh, the whiteness and near cleanliness of the bones also kind of make it look fake, like a Halloween shop display, but it's uh, it's real. Man, it's real. Hannah lets the cameraman know that, that someone will be notified and that they will properly take care of the body. And then near the end of the film, this little documentary, he, uh, he comments that, you know, you think you die alone, but that's not true. And he, and he shows the viewers bouquets of flowers, boxes of chocolates left in remembrance of, of other victims of suicide. You know, it's, it's a short film, but big impact. You know, the fact there are so many people ending their lives in the forest, that it's, a, that it's like a virtual guarantee that you'll encounter something like this by, by merely venturing off the trail is, you know, it's a travesty. How, how did this forest become such a magnet for death and despair? Oh, we're going to look into those reasons soon. But before we talk some more about death, let, let's definitely lighten it up. Let's, let's talk about some life. Let's have a little life breather and uh, talk about our next sponsor. Time Suck is brought to you today by Hims. Forhims.com. That's the one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual, and, uh, and just general wellness for men. 
One website where you can shop for both your, your, both your heads and all the skin in between them. Lotion, check. Hair loss, preventative medicine, check. Diamond cutter, hard dick. The one Chikatilo always wanted but never got, check. Uh, you know, hopefully check. Uh, with, with medical-grade solutions, real doctors, well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions that can help you keep your hair, forhims.com offers men easier, more affordable access to the prescriptions, products, and medical advice they need. And what I like is that these are not, you know, uh, herbal, you know, snake oil kind of supplements. They're prescription solutions backed by real science. Forhims works with doctors and pharmacists uh, they're not working with flat earthers and people writing uh, false flag blogs. No, with 4 there's no waiting room, no awkward doctor visits. You get to save hours of your life by going to 4 answering a few quick questions, and a doctor, a real doctor, not a wackadoodle, uh, will review and can prescribe you uh, what you need, and everything's going to be sent just directly to your door. And if you order now, time suckers, you'll get, a, you'll get a trial month of everything you need to keep your hair for just five bucks. Five bucks today uh, while supplies last. See website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to a doctor or pharmacy. So go to 4 slash time suck. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash time suck. 4 dot com slash time suck. Yeah. Okay. So uh, so now now back to death and despair. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the episode today. Um, you know, you blame the space lizards if you don't like it. They voted it in. So, uh, but you know, I, but I did, and I'm not complaining, actually. I did, uh, find all this stuff very fascinating, especially all the cultural stuff. Uh, and again, you know, we do know culturally suicide viewed differently in Japan. Uh, we now know that a lot of suicides occur in this forest, but why here? I mean, I mean, if you're going to kill yourself, why take a trip to this specific forest? You know, why out of all the locations available in a country plagued by suicide is the, uh, you know, uh, Aokigahara forest, the location of choice for those ending their lives. You know, it's, it's absolutely stunning, uh, you know, uh, potentially, you know, tranquil, you know, natural wonder. It just, it just doesn't feel like the, the right setting for something like that. Well, the answer may lie in a pair of books. Uh, the first being 1960s, uh, Kuroi Jukai, uh, Jukai, Black Sea of Trees. It was written by Seicho uh, Matsumoto. Uh, you can order it off Amazon and you can read it if you can read Japanese. It has not been translated into English. And, and this book is about young lovers venturing into the, uh, um, Oh my gosh, this, this word kill me every time. Uh, Aokigahara, Aokigahara forest. Uh, to end their lives, it's reportedly written in a romantic tone that glorifies the protagonist's suicidal actions. And in addition to this book, that may be the reason people began to kill themselves in the forest, another book published in 1993, I feel like definitely accounts for the large amount of suicides in the forest now. It's, it's, the book is called The Complete Suicide Manual. It's written by Wataru uh, Surumi. And it is exactly as fucked up as it sounds. It, it lists out the options for committing suicide and then ranks them, noting their effectiveness, cost, pain level, preparation required, emotional impact on family, etc. I mean, it, it truly is a non-joking guidebook uh, for suicide. Uh, Surumi doesn't really get into the, the morality of suicide or the philosophy around it. He simply just publishes an instruction manual that covers, you know, over 11 methods in 11 chapters. There's overdosing, hanging. Slashing the wrist, i.e. the uh, carotid artery, car collision, gas poisoning, electrocution, drowning, self-immolation, freezing, uh, miscellaneous. That's, that's a weird one. Uh, and then uh, self-defenestration. Uh, now, defenestration, I had not heard of that word before. Uh, self-defenestration is a very fancy way of saying throwing yourself out of a window. Not kidding. Uh, defenestration 
is defined by Merriam-Webster as throwing of a person or thing out of a window, uh, assassination by defenestration. And, uh, and, I, and I feel like that has to be a really short chapter. Like what, what technique is involved there? I feel like it's like chapter 10, uh, self-defenestration, find a window at least 100 feet off of the ground, open it, throw self out of it. And then it just goes right to the next chapter. Chapter 11, miscellaneous. What would be in there? Uh, miscellaneous, uh, section one, death from anal explosion, find dynamite stick, stuff an ass, light, spend several seconds really hoping you have used enough dynamite to die as opposed to keep living after you've blown off your dick and balls and or vagina and also destroyed your spine and butthole. Uh, so not surprisingly, this is a pretty controversial book, should be. You know, sadly, there have been many copies of this book found along with the bodies at the scene of, uh, you know, suicides in the forest, uh, including several cases of suicides of, of junior high school students, which is uh, terrible. And the author of this book claims that he opposes the societal pressure to per- persevere and live strong, and uh, which is, you know, it's just a weird viewpoint. And he lists specifically the uh, uh, Aoki Gahara Forest as the perfect place to die, quote, the perfect place to die. Yeah, and, and yeah, way too many copies of this book have been found in that forest. The book sold a million copies as of uh, 2006. You can't find much press about it, at least uh, on English websites. The year, uh, that, that year, there was an article uh, where the author was interviewed, and he's asked if he had any regrets, and he said he did not. He said, killing oneself is not a crime. It's not, it's not right to criticize those who killed themselves because we all have that freedom. When the authorities are tightening the control and surveillance of individuals, I have to speak out even more loudly that we can choose whatever way we want to live our lives. It's an interesting defense of suicide promotion, you know, that uh, I'm sick of the government telling me what to do. If I want to fucking kill myself, I should be able to. Yeah, you know, you can. I don't know that you I don't know that you should. You should. You should. And, and you definitely shouldn't encourage others. That's a very weird way to make that argument. Uh, so is that book to blame? Can literature really have such a dramatic impact, uh, you know, on suicide? The rate of suicide within the forest did increase significantly after the publication of each of those books. But, you know, correlation and causation can't be, you know, or, or you know, can be, can be confused. Um, you know, and, and another point is that suicides may have been committed regardless. You know, those books might have just uh, changed the location or the method. Uh, there's other people who think that the books may have just added to an already terrifying existing supernatural paranormal explanation as to why so many die at their own hands in that forest. And we're going to look at that in a second. It's going to get a little scary, a little creepy, but before digging into, uh, some, some more horror, I, I do need to, I need some comedy. I need some comedy. This is definitely a, a tricky episode to, uh, to lighten up, but we're going to do it by checking in with, uh, with what those lovable losers have to say about the suicide forest, those complete idiots of the internet. To find this week's wackadoodles, I went to the trailer for the 2016 U.S. horror movie, The Forest, starring Natalie Dormer. You know her from uh, the the Hunger Games movies, or at least uh, one or two of them, the uh, Game of Thrones. Um, I've never seen it, this movie. It's about a young woman who travels to the suicide forest to find her twin sister, finds a bunch of creepy-ass monsters instead. I I watched the trailer, and that was enough for me. Uh, somehow, according to various comment section posts and reviews, the film had a, had a 10% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And I say had, uh, because right now you can't, you can't find it. Uh, you can't find any reviews for it really. There's like one, but on Rotten Tomatoes, somehow they were able to like reboot <laughs> their Rotten Tomatoes rating, which, oh man, there, there's gotta be so many other, you know, producers and distributors of shitty movies that are so jealous as to how they figured that out. 
I'm sure a lot of other films like to erase their terrible ratings. Uh, the other 2016 film, uh, U.S. film set in the suicide force, Sea of Trees. It was a drama starring Matthew McConaughey, Naomi Watts, uh, Ken Watanabe. That has an 11% approval rating. So apparently the, uh, the, this forest is, uh, is also the play a lot of movies have gone to die. And uh, I know that joke is not in the best taste, but God damn it, I'm fucking I'm trying. I'm trying to find some comedy in this uh, episode. And that joke basically wrote itself. And, uh, and you know... You know, from what I've said several times, I'm big on you guys getting help if you're, if you're truly feeling suicidal. A couple virtue signalers uh, pop up in the comment section of this uh, episode or of this, uh, uh, under this video almost immediately. Of course they do. User Ashley Dusk Mountain writes, Suicide Forest is a real place that I find so sad. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, yeah, that makes sense. And then Rika Potato uh, says, it's sad that there actually is a suicide forest. Yeah, you guys both, you fucking both nailed it. I, I hope the two of you can find each other and form some kind of brain trust where you guys can, uh, I don't know, write a bunch of self-help books or something. Because you're right, it is sad. Thank God thank God, you guys were there to point that out. You know, if you, if you guys weren't there, I would I would have maybe gone on my whole life thinking it was like a, a joyous occasion to be celebrated. But nope, no, you guys set me back on the right path. Uh, user Amy X Amy clears up an important misconception about the film. Uh, posting, <laughs> I love just how people think they need to, to, to point this out for others. Like who wouldn't fucking understand that? She says the forest is based on uh, Okigahara. Yes, it's real, but the monsters are fake. Oh, that makes way more sense than what I thought, Amy. I thought, I thought the forest was fake, but the monsters were real. Got it. Good to hear from a monster expert. Now I can sleep a lot easier. Uh, I wonder if Amy X Amy posts on all horror movie videos. Hey, everybody. Uh, finally just watched The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, listen up. Apparently, lagoons are real. That's a real thing. Uh, that part of the movie holds up. However, as of this message, no humanoid, amphibious, salamander-ish creatures have been found, uh, especially ones trying to terrorize human. That appears to be fake. So those are not real. So don't be afraid to swim in lagoons this summer. Uh, I like this one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maxim uh, Dijanovic posts, the movie was filmed in Serbia and I was in the house where it's filmed. It's still there. Now, th I find this really dumb because Maxim posted this in 2017 and the movie was filmed in 2015. Like, how is that crazy to you that it's, that it's still there? <laughs> just, just, the, just the use of the word still. Like, it's still there. Man, that's so crazy that a house would be there two years after filming. Incredible. I'm shocked they even let you into that historically significant building. I can't believe it hasn't rotted away. I, that's unreal how some things just are able to last like they do, right? You know, the ancient pyramids of Egypt, Stonehenge, 35,000-year-old cave paintings in Indonesia, and a Serbian house from 2015. Uh, user Caitlin Botiford posts, What's so funny is that the twin sisters are played by the same actress. Is this the first movie you've ever seen, Caitlin? Uh, that's less funny, and that's more exactly how movies almost always cast twins. That's that's usually how they do it. Nicolas Cage played twin writers Charlie and Donald Kaufman in 2002 film ad ad uh, adaptation. Lindsay Lohan's done it twice. She played identical twins Halle Parker and Annie James, separated at birth in the 1998 film Parent Trap, or The Parent Trap. 2007, she played twins again, this time appearing as Aubrey Fleming and Dakota Moss and I Know Who Killed Me. Christian Bale played twin magicians, Alfred uh, Borden, Bernard Fallon in the 2006 film The Prestige, James Franco 
Uh, he fucking killed it, in my opinion, playing identical twins, Vincent and Frankie uh, Martino in the first season of HBO's The Deuce last year. I mean, I thought I thought that was a really good show. Uh, Tom Hardy and Legend. Arnold Schwarzenegger played played both himself. Arnold Schwarzenegger is such a good actor. He played both himself playing a twin and he played Danny DeVito playing another twin in the 1988 documentary Twins. And that's why he won four Oscars for that film. Uh, everyone knows that last piece was nonsense, right? I, I hope so. If, if YouTube user uh, Eamon Ali is listening to this podcast, I'm guessing he just fell for that and was outraged. He seems very out of touch with reality and very unstable. This, this is one of my favorite idiots of the internet posts we've done so far on the life of the show. This is just so bonkers. Uh, Eamon, <laughs> Eamon Ali posts insanity, ironically about insanity. All caps, boycott, lowercase, this movie, many exclamation points. They are turning actual mentally ill people who committed suicide with grieving family members into evil spirits and scary ghosts. This is so offensive. Please don't watch this. Mental illness is a huge issue in Japan. Stop taking away its importance. What in the fuck are you talking about? Let me get this straight. You think they are turning dead, mentally ill people, people who are dead. They're already dead, and they're turning them into evil spirits and ghosts. Like, you've written that as if you believe they're literally doing that. Like, the producers were like, hey, you know what would make this movie really scary? Check this out. Check this out. What if, just follow me, what if instead of hiring actors to play ghosts, or instead of creating scary monsters with CGI and post-production, because that can be expensive. You know, you know, we don't have a big budget. What if, hear me out, we turn dead people into ghosts and evil spirits who, despite being evil and not of this world, are still somehow able to follow a production schedule, work with real actors and actresses, do as many takes as we need. Can we actually do that? Can we actually turn dead bodies into ghost actors? We can. Yeah, we can if, uh, okay, here's where it's a little tricky. We can do it if specifically they were mentally ill when they were alive. Oh, 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 and also committed suicide. Uh, it's kind of a long story, but basically I bought a book of spells from a necromancer and it was missing a lot of the pages. And those are the only specific spirits I can conjure. Uh, I like it. I like it. I mean, it would save us a ton of money since you can actually, you know, pay evil spirits uh, or you can't. Exactly. Exactly. No, the post is so weird. It convinced me to Google. Uh, did the, and it was so specific. Did the movie The Forest cast mentally ill people to play ghosts? I was just trying to figure out how this user got confused. And, uh, and I guess I have to eat some crow because uh, they did. Uh, the film was shot in two locations around Tokyo and on Terra Mountain in Serbia. And, uh, you know, because the Japanese government does not allow filming the suicide force. And in Serbia, they don't have any laws regarding acting unions. And so rather than pay actors, the producers just rented out a mental health facility and they just forced a lot of the patients into being in the movie. They dressed them up as monsters and they, and they made them be in the movie. And that is fucking ridiculous. That never happened. No. The only thing that happened is Eamon Ali posted some fucking wackadoodleness because he is one of my favorite idiots of the internet. Okay, that was uh, that was nice. I needed that. That was a nice break from the darkness. Now let's. I still can't believe that. I still can't believe somebody is outraged because they think <laughs> they think that somebody has turned the the spirits of deceased mentally ill people who committed suicide into like 
into evil monsters, but then also let them work with the movie. Like it's so many levels of crazy. Uh, okay. Uh, let, let's, uh, let's, we're going to get a little darker now. We're going to start talking about these, uh, monsters that some people believe are behind this. The, uh, Ubesut. Uh, legend has it that in times of hardship, families would take their elderly, sick, and otherwise ailing family members to the forest and abandon them, leaving them to die. And uh, this sounds like I'm joking here, but it really, according to various articles I read, this, this, uh, Ubesut is translated as granny dumping. Like, for real. It was the practice uh, of poor citizens who would bring their senile elders into the mountaintops because they could no longer afford their care and they would just abandon them and let them starve in the wilderness. I'm not even joking, which seems so cruel. Like, if you're going to get rid of Granny, I mean, couldn't you at least have the fucking dignity to throw them off a cliff or something? You got to let them starve? That sounds like, like the worst way to go. When families were starving due to famine and drought, difficult choices had to be made to ensure the survival of some rather than all those uh, you know, within the home perishing and slow, agonizing starvation. An elder would be chosen from the family or volunteer on their own to alleviate the hunger of the others by eliminating one mouth to feed. And nearly all the stories uh, collected about this phenomena, it's always, uh, almost always the grandmother. That's why I became known as Granny Dumping, who either volunteers or is taken out into the woods. In various versions of the tale, a young son carries the elderly woman on his back into the forest. She marks his way home by leaving sticks and twigs on the ground for him to follow back. Son then leaves her in some isolated area on or, or you know, near the mountain. Then she would wait until her slow and eventual death came at the hands of the elements, which is fucking terrible. And, and apparently this, I mean, there is like mythology type stories about like traditional stories, but also they truly believe this is the thing that really happened. And, and I do get it on a pragmatic level, man. Sometimes, you know, people have had to make hard choices to survive throughout history in terrible situations. But that one, man, getting rid of Nana, that would be especially tough. You know, I love you, Grandma Betty. You help raise me. Uh, you know, you're really more of a second mother, uh, to me than a grandmother. You spoiled me. You made me feel special. You've always been there for me. It's always been extremely comforting to know that if the whole rest of the world went to shit, I'd still have you to fall back on. And that's what makes this tough. I have, look, here's the thing. I have grown accustomed to a certain quality of life. And because of some gambling debts I've accrued, uh, I either have to give up venti soy mochas from Starbucks and the occasional steak dinner, or I leave you in the woods and I get to keep enjoying that stuff. So I love you. Now put on some fucking comfortable shoes and get to hiking. We've got quite a hike in front of us. Uh, and I'm guessing families who made that decision were facing a different level of hardship than I just described. I know that. But man, what a tough thing to do. According to a 2017 Business Insider article, not only was this definitely a thing, it's making a comeback. Today, amid Japan's demographic and economic woes, a form of granny dumping is happening all over again. Modern-day granny dumping doesn't involve hauling seniors up to the sides of mountains, but uh, apparently now they do drive them up to hospitals or the offices of nearby charities, and then they just uh, leave them, they just take off. Uh, social worker uh, Takanori Fujita told the Times of London, there are a lot of people who have a certain amount of income, but who still live in poverty and struggle terribly with relatives who can't look after themselves. They're reluctant to ask for help because they feel it is shameful. Uh, Japan's economy has been shrinking for the better part of the last decade, and senior citizens have continued aging into their 80s, 90s, and 100s while the younger generations have largely stagnated in having children, so it's created a, a, a not good situation. You know, there's fewer people to help take care of the elderly, uh, fewer to pay for Social Security, fewer to keep the workforce full, not good. And some think an inordinate amount of granny dumping has gone on over the years in the uh, uh, Aoki Gahara Forest, and it's created a bunch of negative spiritual energy, and, and it's created like a vengeful attraction to those seeking an end to their troubles. It's created basically a bunch of pissed-off granny ghosts, trying to lure vulnerable peeps out into the woods. And uh, that sounds crazy to me. 
but but not so crazy to a lot of Japanese, just like the act of suicide looked on differently on, in Japanese culture than it is in the U.S. and most other Western countries. The concept of ghosts is far more accepted in Japan uh, culturally than it is in the United States. For example, in 2013, and not just ghosts, but like vengeful spirits and stuff too. It's totally like culturally acceptable uh, and, you know, widespread, you know, believed just generally. Like, for example, in 2013, Prime Minister uh, Shinzo uh, uh, Abe displayed and voiced reluction. Hopefully I'm saying his name. It's, it's spelled Abe, but I was just guessing on Abe. But, uh, but anyway, this prime minister, he displayed voiced uh, and voiced reluctance to move into his official residence because he felt a bad presence and he thought it haunted, uh, as had several of his predecessors. And, and he wasn't mocked by his citizens. No, in fact, people basically thought, well, if it's haunted, then he shouldn't have to live there. Now, now think about how that would be uh, interpreted here in the U.S. Can you imagine the media mockery that would go on if one of our presidents had said they were not going to move into the White House because they were spooked by the ghosts living in that? <laughs> like, people would lose their mind. The public would have no faith in the president. Congress would immediately try and find ways to, to start the impeachment process on the grounds of mental instability. You know, can you imagine some concerned official like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, uh, why did you just say you can't? live in the White House, Mr. President, there's, there's some spooky ghosts in there. There's, some, there's a lot of spooky ghosts in there. Please, uh, Mr. President, you're, you're already late for a very important meeting. This, it's going to get me. The spooky ghost is going to get I know it. I can feel it. Well, a lot of Japanese citizens have no problem at all believing in ghosts. And uh, a lot of them don't think uh, they're very nice. Spiritualists in Japan firmly believe that this uh, suicide forest is haunted by the Yuri vengeful spirits of the dead it is thought that the trees themselves have soaked in the malevolent energy produced by the countless suicides all the granny dumping beforehand all these traumatic deaths have you know that have transpired in the forest and it's like the the fucking trees themselves have soaked in that essence and the yuri they're believed to be a very particular type of ghost that has long been held as being real in japanese culture and the belief is that the yuri come from people who died under duress extreme sadness or anger uh, often the victims of murder or suicide. They are the most dangerous of all ghosts. They are believed to usually but not always be women, as traditional Japanese culture views women as being more emotional and therefore more capable of producing the extreme emotions required for the creation of one of these spirits. Be gone, Lucifina. Get out of here. Go on. Get. Uh, Yuri are terrifyingly strong and capable of immense harm, it is, is believed. And even more fun, they can't be banished. They can't be exercised. They can just be temporarily calmed. So that's sweet. Uh, they run on desire alone. This can be anything from telling a loved one that they miss them to, to the desire just to fucking burn the world to the ground. You know, uh, whatever they want, usually related to some sort of vengeance, they will fiercely seek it out. And thankfully, they are believed to commonly, uh, to, to, uh, you know, to be tied to a specific object. That's like the whole tree absorbing the essence. You know, tied to they're tied to a place, they're tied to an object, which does give you the ability to avoid them. You know, and a lot of Japanese spiritualists believe that the suicide force is basically just uh, just fucking crammed full of these yuri. And, and if you if you've ever seen any Japanese or Japanese inspired horror film, you know exactly what these ghosts look like. The yuri, they're pale women, usually dressed in a simple white dress of sorts. They have long dark hair, often covering their faces and obscuring their identity. They move oddly and erratically. They have no ties to the physical realm. They can bend whatever laws they choose to. You know, to terrify their victims, they can. It gives them the ability to move with terrifying speed, to defy gravity and do that, you know, creepy shit where they're crawling on the ceiling. You know, they have the ability to change shape. They can alter the living's vision in moments, uh, you know, in a moment's time as well, creating hallucinations, disorientating you for their own purposes. They are basically those creepy monster kids from The Grudge and The Ring. I don't know if you've seen those movies, 
But that is the Yuri. Those horror movies that were originally made in Japan and then remade into American horror movies. And I really hope that's not what's going on in the Suicide Force. Holy shit. That, that, that folk, uh, you know, shifts the narrative from being sad to downright fucking terrifying. Uh, getting killed by that creepy-ass girl from The Ring, pretty high up on my list of uh, least favorite ways to die. Can these Yuri be stopped if you encounter one? Well, uh, there's a ofunda, a Shinto prayer uh, sheet that can be placed on an entrance to block or attempt to block the Yuri from entering a place. Otherwise, you know, your best odds uh, to, you know, to not be hurt by one is just to avoid them at all costs. I think like, I think like once, once you're in their space and they come at you, I, I don't know that there's a lot you can do. So, you know, maybe don't go to the, on that nature hike to the suicide forest after all. And, and the belief in these creatures is strong enough to allow those who don't believe in them uh, to get some seriously good deals on Japanese real estate. Uh, any property that has been the site of an unnatural death, suicide, murder, you know, uh, must be recorded as such. These types of residences are often referred to as incident houses, and it makes the property ridiculously hard to sell because of Japan's cultural views on these spirits. You know, you don't want to buy a house full of fucking yuri. So uh, realtors lower the prices considerably, usually 30% or more, up to up to 50% off, like for murder sites. That is a lot for a house. Uh, and realtors will perform, in addition to that, cleansing rituals to appease, calm, or remove residual negative energy. Okay, so... Maybe people are killing themselves in the suicide forest because of the popularity of a few books, either directly advocating killing yourself in that location or romanticizing the act of suicide in that location. Maybe it has something to do with evil spirits or at least the belief in evil spirits. Maybe all the tragic deaths compounded by more and more tragic deaths over the years have, have truly have created some kind of negative attraction, some type of pulling force that brings people to this forest during their darkest moments. Maybe the Yuri are real. You know, their terrifying presence and astounding power corrupts the minds of visitors. You know, maybe these evil sirens are calling out to the brokenhearted somehow. And, and maybe all of this is happening in Japan because Japan has a high rate of suicide in general because at least partially the act of suicide, uh, you know, uh, partially because of the, the act of suicide not being taboo in Japan as, as it is or as taboo as it is in other countries. But the last question I have is why are modern Japanese killing themselves? Like, you know, I get that it's more culturally acceptable. I get that the forest has been turned through a combination of literature and lore into some kind of final destination of sorts for the hopeless. But still, all that being said, you still need a reason to want to kill yourself, a motive. And, and what is it? Partly in Japan right now, it could be a terrible combination of financial pressure and lax insurance policies, as odd as that sounds, when it comes to paying out on suicides. Ken Joseph, who works at a Japanese suicide hotline, thinks this is part of what's going on. He says elderly people who are in financial trouble and, you know, not just elderly, also some younger people might see suicide as a way out of their problems. And he says the insurance system in Japan is very lax when it comes to paying out for suicide. So when all else fails, some people feel you can just kill yourself and the insurance will pay out and at least protect your family. Uh, this is, this is uh, sometimes, an, you know, because uh, there is sometimes an intolerable amount of pressure on the elderly that, that the most loving thing they could do is, you know, take their own lives and thereby, thereby, you know, take the burden away from their family and provide for their family. Uh, because of this, some experts think Japan's suicide rate is actually a lot higher uh, than what is being reported because a lot of uh, lone deaths of elderly people are never fully investigated by the police, uh, And according to Ken Joseph. And he says the almost universal practice of cremating bodies you know, also means that evidence of suicides is quickly destroyed. Now, that may explain suicide among the elderly. Uh, and again, it's not all elderly, but it's primarily an elderly issue there. The fastest growing suicide demographic in Japan is actually young men. Uh, it's now the single biggest killer of men in Japan, age 20 to 44. And the evidence suggests that these young people are killing themselves because they have lost hope and are incapable of seeking help. 
The numbers first began to rise after the Asian financial crisis in 1998. They climbed again after the 2008 worldwide financial crisis. Experts think those rises are directly linked to the increase in precarious employment, which is the practice of employing young people on short-term contracts. Because Japan was once known as the land of lifetime employment. You know, where people work for a company their entire lives were taken care of by that company. But while many older people still enjoy job security and generous benefits, nearly 40% of young people in Japan, that's nearly 40% are unable to find stable jobs. So that big shift uh, might have created uh, a lot of the rise in suicides. And there's also something known as uh, hikikomori. It's financial anxiety and insecurity uh, uh, compounded by Japan's culture of not complaining. Um, they... There are not many ways to express anger or frustration in Japan, says Mr. Nishida, a psychologist at Tokyo's Temple University. He said this is a rule-oriented society. Uh, young people are, are molded – oh, and I'm sorry. Actually, uh, I, I wrote this little pronunciation earlier. Financial anxiety and insecurity is not uh, hiku uh, mori. I'm going to explain what that is in a second. So, but, but financial anxiety and insecurity are kind of compounding uh, this problem. He says it's a rule-oriented society. Young people are molded to fit in a very small box. They have no way to express their true feelings. If they feel under pressure from their boss and they get depressed, some feel like the only way out is to die. And technology may be making things worse, increasing young people's isolation. Uh, Japan is now famous for a condition called – there, here we go uh, – <laughs> uh, hikomori, which is a type of acute social withdrawal. The Japanese – yeah, sorry about that. A little confusion. That was just uh, poor poor note writing on my part. The Japanese Ministry of Health, Labor, and Welfare defines uh, hikomori as people who refuse to leave their house and isolate themselves from society in their homes for a period exceeding six months. According to government figures released in 2010, there are 700,000 individuals living as hikomori with an average age of 31. The young person affected may completely shut themselves down. Uh, usually it's a male. Uh, shut themselves down away from the outside world, withdrawn into a room and not coming out of that room for, uh, for months or even years. Um, I'm guessing, you know, a couple rooms. I mean, I go to the bathroom, kitchen, but uh, that's, that's the way it was written. And that's just the most extreme version of, of a more common problem in Japan, which is technology increasing social isolation. I feel like that's becoming more of a worldwide thing, but that's uh, affecting the younger generation. A recent survey of young Japanese people and about their attitudes to relationships and sex turned up some very interesting results. Published in January by the Japan Family Planning Association, it found that 20% of men, aged 25 to 29, had little or no interest in having a sexual relationship. And uh, that Professor Nishida, he points to the internet and the pervasive influence of pornography online is the reason for that. He says young people in Japan have a lot of knowledge, but they have no life experience. They have no idea how to express their emotions. They've forgotten what it's like to touch a person. When they think about sex, they get anxiety, have no idea how to deal with it. And when young people do find themselves isolated and depressed, they have very few places to turn to. Mental illness uh, is still very much a, a taboo thing in uh, Japanese culture. There is little popular understanding of depression. Those suffering with symptoms are often too scared to talk about it. Uh, compounding this is Japan's mental health care system being a mess. There's an acute shortage of psychiatrists, of psychiatrists. There's also no tradition of psychiatrists working together with clinical psychologists. People suffering from mental illness might be prescribed some powerful psychotropic medication. But unlike in the West, it's usually not a company with any kind of counseling. Uh, and also the counseling industry is a bit of a free-for-all. Unlike uh, America and Europe, there's no government-mandated system of training. Uh, you know, Anybody can set themselves up as a counselor. And it's very hard for someone seeking help to know that the counselor actually knows what they're fucking doing. So it's, so it's not a happy picture. And while the suicide rate has actually begun to decline in the last three years, it is still woefully high. Uh, Professor Nishida says uh, Japan needs to start talking about mental illness a lot more 
And not just as something scary and strange that afflicts a few. When you, when you see a television discussion on mental illness in Japan, they still talk as if depression equals suicide. He says that needs to change. So, you know, a lot of interesting shit. The main takeaway uh, I just took from all of that is that uh, you can't make suicide a taboo, undiscussable topic if you want to reduce its societal impact. I mean, that's what I like most about Time Suck, man. We can, we can talk, we can joke around about fucking anything here. Nothing's taboo, and I think that's really healthy. I really, really do. You know, I, I do stay away from politics for the most part here on the show, but not because, you know, I feel like it's taboo. I just feel like it's all the media does talk about as far as mainstream media. And it's like, you get enough of that every other place. It's nice to have a little refuge from it. You know, it's, it's, I'm human. You know, I reference things here and there, but, um, you know, I think it's more important to, to explore the issues underlying issues, you know, the under, underneath the politics, like, like, uh, like in the gun episode, you know, talk about an issue that comes up politically. So that, you know, you, every, we can all make a more informed decision about that and pick the appropriate candidate and all that kind of good stuff. But, uh, but nothing should be taboo to talk about, man. I firmly believe you, you, like, uh, you make something taboo, it, it can make a situation a lot worse, like sex. You know, you make sa- sex a taboo topic, I feel like there's going to be a rise in sex crimes. You know, you make suicide and talking about suicide super taboo, I feel like there's going to be a rise in suicides. How are you going to solve a problem if you, if, you know, you've created a situation where no one feels comfortable to even talk about it? Uh, and also you need the right people to talk uh, about it with, which is, uh, you know, what we have in this country. So call the suicide helpline, uh, suicidepreventionhotline.org. Again, 1-800-273-8255. Feel zero fucking shame when you do so. You should feel pride. You're handling your shit. And if you're not in the U.S., uh, you know, you're living in Sweden, Germany, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, the U.K., Ireland, one of the many other countries where time suckers listen in, Google suicide hotline and just find your country's phone number. Uh, if you don't have Google, fucking use Gaggle. Use uh, Shittle, use uh, Third World. Uh, I don't know. Whatever you whatever you have in your country, you fucking use it. If you don't have a computer, I don't know. Uh, get a phone book. If your if your country is uh, back in 1996, still, I'm sure you have a phone book, and I'm sure those places exist. There's call fucking City Hall. They'll point you in the right direction. But seriously, don't fuck around. Don't end up in Nimrod's butthole. Get help. And now it's time for top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, it is believed that over 100 people choose to die in Japan's suicide forest, a.k.a. Uh, Okigahara Forest, every year. Number two, a combination of two popular books glamorizing taking one's life in uh, Okigahara Forest uh, combined with the tradition of suicide being viewed as an honorable act could account for many of these suicides. Number three, Financial pressure, a revival of self-imposed granny dumping, modern social isolation, lack of proper mental health resources. All of that could be combining to keep suicide rates high in modern Japan. Number four, really hope that the Yuri are not real and that there are no evil, creepy, dark-haired kid monsters like that thing from The Ring and that thing from The Grudge and other Japanese horror movies luring people into some kind of haunted forest. That is fucking the most terrifying thing ever. Uh, number five, New info, let's talk about the biggest, most recent controversy involving the suicide force. It is a little bit of old news at this point as far as being topical, but still worth mentioning, I feel like, because it was a story that kind of, you know, uh, went big for a second. Uh, if, you're not, if you're not on YouTube, if you're not on the YouTubes, there's a YouTuber named Logan Paul with roughly 20 million subscribers. Uh, he's extremely popular for, from what I can tell, being an obnoxious and extremely douchey jackass. His popularity literally just makes me sad. Because I find his content to be so vapid and just disposable and just not entertaining to me whatsoever. Anyway, Logan thought it would be funny uh, as an extremely successful and wealthy and happy person 
to film a video uh, of someone who had just killed themselves, someone who was probably sad, impoverished, and conventionally unsuc- unsuccessful because, you know, he, he does kind of seem to be like a piece of shit. So he took a trip to, the ja- uh, to Japan's suicide force to film a video for his vlog. He went there knowing that there were high odds he would encounter a body or an active suicide attempt. Not surprisingly, it happens. And then when he's, uh, so he's around this body, he shows up, there's, there's a person hanging from a branch and he's wearing, it's funny like what bothered me about this. In the video, he's wearing this silly, like a little kid type alien hat. It's, it's like the type of hat, uh, my kids uh, wore a similar style hat when they were very little. But, I, but both of them, like not joking, by the age of six, were like, I'm not wearing that hat anymore. It's like the thing you would get at Disneyland or a park. It's like, uh, I remember uh, Kyder had a Yoda one. Where it's like you pull it down. It has these long dangly straps on the side that hang over your ears of like the fabric. It has like, if it's Yoda, Yoga's face up on the top, almost like a Halloween mask for the top of the head. And he had some like wacky green alien one. I mean, just, I don't know how else to say it. Something that a douchebag would wear, you know, in this situation. Uh, not that everybody, I know like the cosplay world, there's exceptions, you know, uh, if you're working at a little funky coffee shop and that's your vibe. I get it. Certain people can pull it off. To me, he's not one of them. Uh, it's intentionally wacky, a little over the top. And then he doesn't take it off when he sees the body. And he just has these goofy expressions on his face. It just read as so unbelievably disrespectful. And then he laughs about the whole situation with two of his friends. They're laughing about like how it's awkward that they're there. But like, but they're doing this standing a few feet away from someone who has just killed themselves. Now, you guys know far too well how dark my sense of humor is. And I realize it's super dark. But I also feel like I have a pretty pretty good understanding of time and place, of context, you know, when you make dark jokes. I, I feel like to crack weird jokes about Chikatilo on this podcast, uh, you know, in this weird little world we created, you know, that's one thing. And, and, and I know even saying that, there's still a valid argument that it could still be in poor taste, you know, to some people's taste. But I do also feel very strongly that it is a, it is a whole nother thing uh, to go crack jokes at the crime scene. Of say you know uh, one of his victims who you know whose body still hasn't been even taken away to the mortuary. I mean, can you imagine that? The difference between joking you know privately with your friends or in a you know a podcast or whatever or on a YouTube video or whatever if you want to put it out like you're talking about something, but you're not talking about it like right next to the thing right when it's happened. There is that whole like time plus tragedy equals comedy, uh, which I which I, uh, I I do believe in. And he got called out online. Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad on Twitter says, how dare you? You disgust me. I can't believe that so many young people look up to you. So sad. Hopefully this latest video woke them up. You are pure trash, plain and simple. Suicide, not a joke. Go rot in hell. Uh, Lauren Duca, uh, who writes for Teen Vogue, said on Twitter, Logan Paul is an immoral piece of shit who could not be less deserving of his platform. Fuck. If you need help, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-TALK. There's another one. Fellow YouTuber Philip DeFranco said, just remember this. Before all of the extended community outrage against Logan Paul's We Found a Dead Body video, there was a seemingly uncontested 550 to 600,000 likes on it. His core audience doesn't give a fuck. Unless YouTube does something, this doesn't hurt him. And that's another thing. Uh, yeah, I couldn't, this video is no longer on YouTube. I, I found like an old portion of it that was on like Vimeo and it wasn't uh, under the original title. I guess the original title was We Found a Dead Body and it was featured on YouTube's homepage, which is uh, bad. Uh, Logan took three weeks off. After, after the outrage about his video, he supposedly spent time reflecting on learning about depression, the complexities of suicide. And then I got to say to his credit, selfish motives or not, uh, he did pledge a million dollars to suicide prevention organizations. And he did make another video after uh, his apology, he made an apology, and then he made another one where he sincerely discusses 
uh, suicide. Time suck. Top five takeaways. All right. Suicide force sucked. Space lizards, you wanted it. You got it. And uh, we did learn a lot, and I do think it is very good to, to have a discussion about suicide from time to time. You know, way too many people die uh, because of it. So call the suicide uh, helpline again, 1-800-273-8255. So I guess that was the same one. I just didn't see it in talk form. But anyway, we'll have that in the episode description. So it's right there. It's an easy little like uh, link. We'll put the website and stuff on there. Make it super easy for you. Uh, man, today's suck uh, got me very excited for a future samurai suck, death before dishonor. Those guys did not fuck around. Uh, new stand-up comedy album. Uh, we could all use some uh, comedy right now. Uh, Maybe I'm the Problem. It's up on Spotify now. For those of you who prefer to stream instead of download. Thanks again to all of you uh, who have already checked it out. And thanks to Harmony Velikamp, Jesse Dobner, Lindsey Cummins, Josh Krell, uh, Alex Dugan, the entire Time Suck team for their help and huge thanks. Uh, and thanks yet again to my uh, sister Donna Hale for, for researching another episode. Other researchers coming up next. I think this next one's a Heather Rylander uh, research piece. Not going full nepotism yet on the suck. Uh, next Monday, uh, we're gonna we're gonna suck on Joan of Arc, and I'm really excited for that one. Gonna suck her hard. Gonna get her all in. Joan of Arc, man, peasant girl living in medieval 15th century France, believes that God had chosen her to lead France to victory in its long running war with England with no military training. Joan convinces the embattled crown prince Charles uh, to allow her to lead a French army to the besieged city of Orleans, where she kicked some English and Burgundian ass. After seeing the prince crown, King Charles VII, Joan would not get to enjoy the victory for very long. A year later, after her big victory, she's captured by the Anglo-Burgundian forces, tried for witchcraft and heresy, burned at the stake in 1431 at the age of 19. Man, how crazy is it? She was able to do so much in her 19 years on earth that almost 600 years after her death, we are still talking about her. She still has massive worldwide name recognition. If she was alive now or, you know, had just like, you know, uh, recently died uh, for this, she'd have like 100 million followers on Instagram. Excited to dig in to this medieval badass. Love finally talking about a badass warrior woman as well. Uh, okay, so let's find out um, what you suckers have been drawn to now this past week. Let's get in to some Time Sucker updates. Updates. Get your Time Sucker updates. Time sucker Megan, I will leave her last name out of this, is another victim of my syphilis misdirection from the Jack the Ripper suck, and I couldn't be happier. Uh, Megan wrote in with the following <laughs> kind words. She wrote, God damn it, you cocksucking motherfucker. I'm listening to the Jack the Ripper, and you just had me convinced I needed to get tested for STDs. My ex cheated on me multiple times during us dating, and I had no idea till the very end of the relationship when it all came out in the open. I was tested then. That was two years ago, and I was clean. You had me worried I had some dormant disease. Fucking love that you finally got me. Keep on sucking. Well, I love that uh, you love that I finally got you. That is, uh, that's awesome. Start start feeling a little uh, itch down south, didn't you? Didn't you, Megan? You started feeling a little itch. Convinced that you're, you know, suddenly convinced your, your Vijay had turned against you. It is amazing the power of the mind over the body, man. Very, uh, very psychosomatic. Um, I, lo- I love the, I cannot believe I fell for that updates. And now for another update I love. I, I do love getting shadow person updates. And so I, I just glanced at this. I didn't want to spoil it for myself. I haven't read the whole thing. So let's see what it says. This is from Rick Belcher. And uh, Rick says, shadow people update to my lord and master of all the sucketh of time. I had never heard of the shadow people theory until I listened to your podcast about them, which after hearing gave me great relief. In 2005, I had an encounter with uh, the shadow people while in Iraq with the U.S. Army as an infantry medic. And until now, I thought I'd just imagine what I saw. It was slightly delusional. 
My platoon had been tasked with locating an informant of ours who had not been seen or heard from for several days. We entered the home of our informant, and to this day I will never be able to fully comprehend the macabre scene of death and torture that was lurking just behind those doors. We unfortunately found our informant as an entire family. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. Oh, my God had been raped and tortured and finally burned alive. The man's family, which included a wife, three sons, and two daughters, were found in various rooms of the house. Smell was rancid, uh, burned flesh. After the house had been cleared of all potential threats to us, unfortunately, we found none. I was tasked with another soldier to start collecting bodies for transport. My battle buddy and I entered the room of the youngest daughter, and there we found a skeletal dark figure crouched over her body as if feeding off of her. The soldier uh, bolted back out the door that I was with, bolted back out the door, and the creature turned its lightly glowing red eyes upon me. I would have run, but was frozen in place, unable to even lift my rifle to defend myself. As this monstrous figure looked at me, I got the impression that it was grinning with a wide, sharp, light grin in anticipation of fear and pain it was about to commit. The creature slowly got into attack style, posturing, preparing to lunge at my still frozen body. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't scream. I couldn't look away. As the shadow man's eyes grew brighter, lighting up the room slightly, Right as he lunged for me out of nowhere, <laughs> out of nowhere, bow motherfucking jangles. Three-legged, one-eyed half-breed, hellhound son of Lucifina and Poseidon, creator of Dr. Shave Shave Butter, using 98.3% of his own semen mixed with 1.7% of communist children's tears. Jesus Christ. Stirred by the third secret fist of Chuck Norris, who inspired John Holmes to undergo cock-lengthening surgery, ripped into the creature, tearing his throat, uh, leaving a trail of visceral smoke, uh, bleeding from toothy grin's neck. As the creature lied there, bow motherfucking jangles, teabagged the hole in his throat while skull fucking, Jesus Christ, with a cyber genetically enhanced cock saving my life and soul from being devoured. Hail fucking Nimrod. God bless the ball sack of bow jangles. Uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> thank you, uh, Rich Belgian. That was, that was intense. That was a good misdirect, man. Uh, I don't know if you, if you were in the service. Uh, uh, thank you for your service. If not, that was, that was a hell of a, hell of a story you were weaving there. Uh, did not uh, expect the bow jangles misdirect. That was well, well done. Uh, that was in a, in a very intense one at that. Uh, now we got an email from, uh, from Time Sucker John Meyer uh, who writes in saying, Dear Master Sucker, I started Time Suck in April and I just finished the entire catalog today. I celebrated by officially becoming a space loser tonight. Ah, yay. Thank you. Wanted to drop you a note saying thank you for an enlightening and entertaining six weeks. I also wanted to get uh, through every episode before chiming in on a little pronunciation item I noticed in a few episodes. Uh, yeah, I would imagine all episodes. I'm sure today there was a, a bunch of terrible ones. I can't remember exactly which episodes, but I'm pretty certain on at least a couple of occasions you pronounced the word, oh, yeah. I, I did read this earlier, and, and I was you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, you pronounced the word mis, misled, the past tense of uh, misled, uh, mislead, as, as misled. I absolutely did. I actually love that you did because I was called out for the same pronunciation when I was reading out loud in school. I think I confabulated the word miser and misled. And came to the conclusion that there was such a thing as an old misler who cons and deceives people. I am now a full believer that the she misler herself, Lucifina, is the one who misled my mush mouth and continues her misling ways to this day. Damn you, Lucifina. Uh, keep up the great work. And as for me, I will continue to lick the delicious word vomit from your puke-filled beard until the day I follow the great light to the end of Nimrod's pee hole and enter his glorious nutsack. Hail Nimrod. You guys are such wordsmiths. I love it. Uh, yeah, you know what? I'm so glad you pointed that out because... I think I've been doing that a long time, as in maybe my entire adult life. Well, I guess, why would I, why would I do it right as a kid and then not do it as a right as a, my entire, all, ever since I found that word. Misled, it's misled. Oh, man. Ah. And you sent a second email saying, P.S., I think you narrowly avoided potential copyright infringement with the Pootie and Juju catchphrase, too little, too diddle. 
Fortunately, the micro penis awareness. <laughs> Fortunately, the micro penis awareness association uses the slogan with no comma, too little to diddle. So I believe you are safe from any future lawsuits. That was well played again, man. Well played. Oh, jeez. You guys. You guys. Okay, last one. Last one. One last uh, update for today. This is from uh, OG Time Sucker, Andrew J. Miglioretto. Uh, I'm trying to get caught up, man. I really am, but I've fallen behind. When did Pootie and Juju first show up? Uh, Stalin Suck is when they first showed up. Yeah. Vladimir Lenin was a big fan of uh, Pootie and Juju comics. Put in your lunch back, Shirley. Too little, too little, Pootie. Uh, lately, I've had a bunch of unstable shit going on in my life that at times seems like too much to deal with. But every time I hear the uh, the latest or new to me suck, I am rejuvenated. I fucking love that. I was previously uh, used as an is. Uh, you previously used one of my updates on the suck. Can't remember which episode, but I do remember being elated upon hearing my name. And after one of your stand up shows in Portland, I was the first out to meet you. I do remember this, and you remembered my emails. What are you doing? Uh, what you are doing with the podcast, in my opinion, is fucking important because it's connecting people that might that may have totally different ways of thinking from each other. Uh, you may be the problem, but what a great fucking problem to have. Well played again there. All my love to you uh, and to Lindsay, Kyler, Monroe, Penny, and Ginger. Sorry if the spelling is fucked up. I went with the traditional spellings, but people are spelling shit however they want nowadays. Yeah, exactly. My wife Lindsay spells, uh, she got a Z in there. She does whatever she wants. Uh, just two more things. Uh, you, you probably didn't get the email for some weird reason, but I informed you that I used Time Suck, specifically the episode about the Salem witch trials, Hail Lucifina, as a source in an argumentative essay on the death penalty in a collegiate paper that has now been published. That's fucking awesome. Congrats, Andrew. That's really cool, man. Uh, and then also number two, uh, uh, O'Reardon, as in Dolores Reardon is pronounced. Oh, okay, O'Reardon. I think I was doing O'Rordon. Uh, okay, final thing. If you're reading this, uh, Dr. Reverend Cummins, please give a shout out to Justin Michael Bryce. He is a huge fan and is the reason I'm a sucker in the first place. So love all of your work. Love all, the you, all of you suckers. Devotedly to Nimrod, Andrew J. Migliaretto. Well, thank you, Andrew. What a great way to end this episode. Uh, love you, man. And, uh, and thank you and love you, Michael Bryce. Hail Nimrod. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. So that's all for today, time suckers. And uh, yeah, man, jokes aside, you know, do not kill yourself. There is a community that loves you. Uh, the time suck community, hit the fucking phone number in the episode description. And if you're not around anymore, then how the hell are you supposed to keep on sucking? Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. <laughs> 